Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Journey of Hope. The Journey of Hope is a podcast that's especially designed to address the issues that men and women face after incarceration. Shane Flemons is my guest today. Now, I'm going to do something I don't normally do. Um, Shane has written a couple of books called Conviction and Deep Conviction, and I don't normally like to look backwards. I like to look ahead and to keep things positive and to not spend a lot of time dwelling on, you know, those seven years and 11 months I did. But Shane has put together a bunch of stories about his time in prison, and these seem like really good books. And so I'm going to spend some time chatting with Shane today about, you know, that time. And uh, maybe you would like to reflect with us. So stay tuned for Shane, and we'll be back right after this. I'm Rodney Mathers, and you're on the Journey of Hope. Mathers Rodney at yahoo.com, M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at yahoo.com. Let me know how you're doing. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome back. My guest today is Shane Flemons. Um, in 2008, now, Shane, you tell me if I get any of this wrong, but in 2008, Shane was convicted of first-degree assault and sentenced to 19 years in prison. Nine were suspended, and he spent, uh, I think, about seven or eight years locked up, and he was in Alaska and Colorado. He's written two books about his experiences. One is called Conviction, and I think the newer one is Deep Conviction. Shane, welcome to the Journey of Hope. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Hey, man, I love the Mandela quote on your webpage. It says, uh, it is said no one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. And uh, isn't that the truth? I mean, <laughs> I, I love true. that quote up there. I take it. Okay, now tell us a little bit. Now, so you were in two different states. So was that like a federal conviction or tell us about that? No, it, I got in trouble in international waters. So they kind of classify you in a different category. Okay. But it's not, it's not federal. It's, um, since I was on an ocean, there's not a city or a town, so they consider it international waters. So I, where I was at, the closest town was Kodiak, so that's where they started their proceedings at. Okay. Uh, I uh, there was a fight on the boat. See, Alaska. Um, the, unfortunately, Alaska's ranked number one for disappearances in the U.S. Wow. per capita. And, you know, it's not all peaches and cream out there. I mean, just you, you, as a matter of fact, were locked up and you got your life turned around. Well, those 20 something or two or three million people that are locked up that you were with, just imagine all those guys having 10 or $15,000 and no, nobody telling them what to do. Hmm. <laughs> it's, it'd be all bad, right? I would imagine so. <laughs> Well, it's it's like that in Alaska, but yeah, unfortunately, so it's just it's 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 just like that. So there's a bunch of rowdy, 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 rowdy men, and they all have tens and tens of thousands of dollars, 
and sometimes those rowdy men want to get doubled up and they know that you have 20,000 and sometimes, you know, one of you guys don't make it home. Mm-hmm. And all you have to do is, I, I don't know, or we look for him or whatever, whatever the scenario may be, that guy ends up with his money and no one ever finds the other guy. And so, then, you know, obviously there's, uh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so your situation was related to that kind of thing going on. Um, and you're talking about guys that you work with, maybe out on, I'm, I'm guessing like a fishing boat or something like that. It was on a fishing boat. And, you know, you work long hours. So sometimes, you know, you do things that you're not mm-hmm. supposed to to stay awake, even though it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Anyways, the guys were on drugs. There was they took toxicology reports, and there was three types of drugs in their system. Mm-hmm. And anyways, I there was a fight, the bad fight. A helicopter came. Eventually, we got a hold of the Coast Guard, and one of the guys was airlifted off. And the Coast Guard got on the boat, and the Coast Guard and I were having conversations, and the other guys were in the the galley. Anyways, the Coast Guard gets the one guy strapped in. I help. My hands get tore up because I'm holding the line so he doesn't swing off. I mean, I still cared. I just, you know, it was one of those things. He was on drugs and the other guy and fight happened and um, people got hurt. And I went to prison. Well, we all know shit happens. People listen to this. (laughs) We all know about that. It it sure does, doesn't it? And so... You let's let's pick up the uh, more positive stuff here. Eventually, you got out, and one of the things we always like to ask people on this show is to tell us about like your first days out. Did you have a job? Did you have a place to go? How did you get the job? How did you find a place to go? Just you know, if you could just kind of sum that up for us real quick. So you know what forced savings is? No. Uh. Uh-uh. Well, that's when you're locked up and you work and they take a percentage of your money out of your hours of you worked and they put it towards your, your release. It's called forced savings in Alaska. Okay, that's a really good, nice thing. But people down here in Texas, you don't get paid to work in Texas. You get good time. So there's no money. But anyway, go ahead. I like what they're doing well, there. <laughs> well, so it's called forced savings, but okay. it, it, it doesn't amount to much. They, they, they do make oh. you pay your child support. Right. So just say if you made 50 cents an hour, they will take 25 cents an hour right off the top to pay your child support. So you're paying 50% of your money, no matter what, every check, it goes to child support. Mm-hmm. So out of that 25 cents, you got to pay your TV. Just say if your TV, you know, a lot of the guys could get around not paying it, and I kind of got clowned a little bit. They're like, Shane, why don't you just do this so you don't have to pay it? And I go, no, I'm trying to do things right, man. But so out of those hours, $15 would go to your cable bill. But then you got your, you know, once you have a job, they don't give you your, you know, your extras. They don't give you your soap and your shampoos. So then that's when the rest of your money. So when you add it up, you're not making a lot, but it's something. Yeah, which is... Um, there's been a lot of talk here in Texas about that whole situation and people, you know, for some reason they get, they get away with not paying and they've been doing it since the beginning of time. I don't think they've ever paid anybody anything, but that's wrong. Yeah. They award you, um, 
So you get good time, you get work time, and your flat time. And depending on the kind of case you have, those numbers put together equal percentages that can get you out. And, you know, so that's what they do in lieu of actually giving you money. Okay. Oh, wait a minute. So you're mm-hmm. telling me you get a third off and then extra more time on top of a third? Well, it depends on when your conviction was and what you were convicted of. There you know, like a, most first-degree felonies would not be eligible for parole until you did 50% of your sentence just, you know, out of the gate. So nothing's going to happen until you do half. And But if you have lighter second-degree, first-degree felony cases, um, I mean, uh, third-degree felony cases, in in that situation, they can add up your Depending on when you were convicted, they've changed the law several times in the past, you know, 15 or 20 years. But you can get your good time plus what they call your work time and plus your flat time, the actual time that you're there. And the way the law is, when you get to certain percentages of your sentence with those three categories, then you're eligible for parole. Some of those are mandatory release. So, you know, say you had a third degree felony and you're, you know, you had to get to 33%. So they would figure that out by taking your good time, your work time and your flat time. So that's why they don't pay you because they're using it towards your release. So there you go. (laughs) It's the way it works here. Well, that's that's a good thing. But it's I I, it would be nice if they would give you guys some money because working, you know, means something. Well, I tell you, in TDC, you work your ass off. It could be anything from picking cotton to scrubbing pots and pit. You know how that works. Okay. Well, so, I, unfortunately, I never got to pick cotton, but I definitely scrubbed a few toilets in my day. Yeah, I've been there too, buddy. <laughs> hey, and that was a good job. <laughs> no, there were good times. Yeah, that was a good job to get too, believe me. Okay, so you... So got, I got out. So for saving... I, I I walk out. I worked my whole time. I was there. They moved me twenty something times, and I don't know if, where you're, you know, back where you're at. But when once they move you so many times or any time, you go down to the bottom of the list of applications and schooling or whatever they have there. You're at the bottom of the list. <coughs> they moved me so many times. Eventually, they said, "Hey, you did too good." That's the reason why they're moving me. But I was like, whatever. So when I walked out of the doors, I had $500 in my four savings. It was like 500 some change. They gave me cash. Mm-hmm. And I grabbed one little box that I had left, you know, my toothbrush and little things that I was, you know, allowed to keep at the very, very end. And I walked out the doors. I had no job. I had a place to live because I was forced to stay in Alaska. I wanted to come home. Their, their system states that if you have family and you have anything, you know, wherever you can go there, that's the law that's their statue that's you know they want you to succeed they say they say well i know so they're telling they told my sister hey you know he can't come home yet he's got to do this and that and i was like well man that's such a crock but i was like whatever i got out i had 500 some dollars i went and got a cell phone i paid a year subscription uh, actually i think it was a bomba plan i mean i was like by the time I got it, I didn't even know what that was, but I found out what it was. So I paid a year's subscription right off the get-go with that money. I went and got my, my license, and then I went and bought some food, and I bought some clothes, and I had a little bit of leftover. But I, I 
I went over to a house. It was like a kind of a halfway house. One of the mentors had a house and he would allow a few of us to live there. But I had no job and I had nothing else. I get out and I, I started to turn in applications. And I finally got a job at a, a, a stocking job, kind of like a Safeway. He was in Alaska. Mm-hmm. So all night long, I would stock shelves. It wasn't a lot of money. It wouldn't definitely get me, you know, a house or anything, but it was something. So I'm working and I want another job. So I started applying for um, fishing jobs. It was summertime and I, you know, I'm a pretty good fisherman. So I, I applied and I got a job, um, salmon fishing. And so I was working all day and then I would go straight to work at night. So I wasn't sleeping very much, but I was putting money in my bank. I was making a lot of money fishing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so um, that, go ahead. that gave you, um, you know, kind of the thing you, you needed to, to begin to turn things around. And eventually you decide to write about your experiences in prison. What gave you the idea to, to write those things down? How did you come to that conclusion? I was in Kenai. I had been moved probably eight or nine times by then. I was, I finally got sober, even though there's a lot of drugs inside. Um, which you know, I do. (laughs) People don't realize. And then they kind of, you know, but anyways, there, there was a lot, you know, there was a lot of drugs and stuff. And, um, I, I was in Kenai and I met one of the guys that, um, I seen in Seward, which Seward's a maximum security prison. Mm-hmm. He he showed up there and I was like, I'd already started writing. Oh, you and started well before you got out. Okay, I did. I was, but it was just a memoir. It was just you know, let my family know how I'm doing, let them know, hey, you know, I'm not just you know, doing nothing. I was, I started, and I started getting feedback. So I started all my money besides you know my hygiene and stuff. I would pay for stamps and stamps are 50 cents each. So every hour that I worked, every stamp, I had to work two hours to pay for these stamps, but I was pushing like 30, 30, 30 envelopes a month. Mm-hmm. So actually the guy showed up and I wrote about him. I sat down and I wrote it in paragraph form and um, exclamations and questions and all that. And I handed it to him and this guy was pretty bad, man. He was one of the, he was a ruthless dude, man. He, yeah, he, uh, he definitely, he made millions and millions and millions of dollars scamming people. And he was good and he didn't care about people. Mm-hmm. So anyways, um, he, I, I handed him the paper and I, from bank robberies he did to um, mail fraud to laundering, you name it, he, the guy did it. Anyways, I handed it to him and he read it. Well, he started passing around to all the guys. So now everybody knew I was writing a book. I was a law librarian at the time. So everybody would come, but I would leave the law library out of anything and everything. So anything that anybody told me, I told them straight up, it's not leaving this room ever. I mean, it's confidential, man. I mean, that's your job. You're supposed to follow the rules, you know, the rules, right? But all the guys started coming up and telling me all their stories. At the same time, I, I started programming and, um, I was getting guys out of prison. I was pushing paper for them. I was setting up these programs that the the prison didn't have. We were doing all this stuff. So when they went to parole and stuff, hey, we went to this and this and this. And some of the guys were getting out at the beginning. So it was it was working for some of them. And that that's how the book got started. 
Okay. Um, you know, I think that that telling the stories that you hear in prison, I think it's a really good idea. I heard some wild shit in there. You know, but anyway, so I, I can I can bet that you came across some really good stories and so and this is how your book is laid out, right? You you relay these stories through both of your books, right? I do. I I uh so when I was in I started meeting, you know, the top, you know, the the, the stock callers in there. I I see when I went to prison, I didn't realize that, you know, you guys watched the people that walked in. I didn't realize you watched who they talked to and all that kind of crap. I walked in, I was this naive dude that, you know, I went to jail a few times for some petty, petty stuff. A lot of the times it was just child support, but I didn't realize when I walked in that everybody was watching me. So I didn't realize there was, you know, I mean, I knew there was guys that run tanks and all that. I mean, I, you know, I've been in the jail here and all that, but I didn't realize that, you know, that I was going to be in with serial killers and there was no segregation, all that. I didn't realize that baby rapists and, um, child, whatever, you know, that they were all walking around me. I didn't know that when I walked in there, my first cell was a straight gangster. And I was like, well, you know, where I come from, they segregate, you know, that kind of stuff. And so I was like, this is going to be a long road. Um, so when I, when I got hit Seward, I met one of the guys and I, he said he got 360 years or 350 years. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm like 350 and 60 years. And I was like, that's how they do things around here. And he goes, watch this. I just hit the yard and this bald guy, which I talked to later on. And I tell him, Hey, I, I wrote about you and he, he thought it was funny and all this. And I'm like, Oh man, I'm glad it wasn't me, but he almost killed a guy right on the yard. Well, I didn't realize at the time that, us inmates know where all the, the the cameras are. I I was I was one stupid person walking in, and I don't know if that helped me or saved me. But eventually, the guy started liking me, and and I'm not a I, I'm I'm not a convict. I'm not I, I'm not very good at hustling, and I'm not very good at like manipulating and all that. So I was going through, and it was hard for me. It was super hard. Anyways, one day the lifers uh, set up a hit which you, you probably know what that means. And they blocked the cameras one after another. One guy would stand and block this camera, and one guy would block that one, and one would block that one, da-da-da-da-da. Well, they almost killed a guy. I mean, they went in there and beat the... I mean, it was all bad. There was blood everywhere. So they locked us down and did their research and found out who... They just backtracked the cameras. Just the way the, the inmates did it, they did it the backwards. So they found out who did the hit. Well, in the meantime, everybody knew who I was, and we got moved to this mod where it was the Gladiator mod. I don't know if you know what that means, but I, do. I learned the hard way. Yep. Um, I know what that so means. I'm like, ah, so I'm in the Gladiator mod. I'm not really thinking it's all that great, but, I mean, I don't have a dang choice. So I get put in with a guy I'm because I'm, you're moving now. They're putting everybody. They're they're segregating the the max of the max of all these people, and they're and they put me in a, a cell with this guy. I've never met him, never talked to him, and I start putting my stuff away. And some guy from a a clique comes up and goes, "You're not moving in this room. Get your stuff and get out." And I'm like, oh, "Okay." And I'm like, "I'm I'm 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 like, you know, what's going on?" And then. 
I heard somebody, hey, he killed a effing kid. And I'm like, I look at the guy and he looks at me and I'm like, well, thank God they didn't want me in here with you. You know, I'm like, that's kind of creepy. And so I, I mean, the inmates did this. The inmates made me leave that room and I go sit down and they found me somebody with an Xbox and da, 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 the stereo system, everything. And I was like, okay, thank gosh, you know, at least they, but I, that's when I realized they watch you. I was like, holy crap, man, are you serious? And then after that hit, that was probably like three months later, all the lifers, you know what lifers are, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. They made so the lifers set up the hit. Now they all got taken out. So the guards came in, uh, put handcuffs on all the lifers, and they run the stores, and they run the drugs, they run the girls, they run the phones, they run everything. So I'm sitting there, and I'm designated to run stuff now. And I'm like, what the? F-? You know, I'm like, and I don't want to. I mean, I'm like, I, I'm just, you know, I'm just like a dude just going to classes and stuff, man. You know, I'm like, in my mind, I was like, just leave me alone. So the guys that I hang out with come over and they're like patting me on the shoulder and they're like, yeah, man, you get around. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, this is all bad, <laughs> but it turned out to be where, I mean, I started getting power and I had all the food, even um, some of the, like the colored guys and the other clicks would come and get my, you know, come get food from me. And so that's how it happened in Seward. <laughs> and it's a lot different than my experience, man. I mean, I I went through some shit as well. I'm but, sure you did. But basically, I just hid in my cell, you know, for seven years and eleven months and ate honey buns. You know, you know the term house cat. House. Yeah, cat? I do. Yeah, I met some of them. I was a house cat. <laughs> I didn't like leaving. You know, I went to wreck and shit like that. But I tried to uh, minimize my time in the day room. You know, so that I stayed out of the mix, and most of the time I was able to do that. And but it brings us to an interesting point that I wanted to talk to you, and I think people would be interested that are listening to hear this from you. Um, you know, what is it that we could change about that environment that would make it easier for people to reintegrate? and to not have that prison kind of mentality when they get out. And I think you know what I'm talking about. I mean, in prison, for example, um, you know, if somebody disrespects you, you got to handle that. But in the real world, if someone disrespects you at Kroger or the, you know, on the freeway and you try to handle it, you're going to go to jail. You know, the, the rules are different in the world. So what, could they do do you think shane to make things more civilized in prison what do you think about that that's a great point because recidivism in alaska is ranked number two in the nation so um see i i i unfortunately got to experience 80 percent of the prisons there i they transferred me so many times i learned all the ins and outs so one of the most most important things is who's running the you know who who's running the programs. Can the guys trust them? Can the guys go to somebody when they need something without having repercussions? Where I up there there wasn't. So like the just for instance the the drug and alcohol class, which is a huge money maker. Alaska, if you look it up, they're ranked I think number one 
if not two for for the money given by the government per capita and it's not because they are pushing people out and having them succeed it's 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 them keeping guys in and they're 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 failing but the way the systems ran if you have you know what write-ups are yeah if you have write-ups they send you back to seward and you have more privileges in the maximum security prison than you do in the other brand new 60 70 million dollar prisons which is horse crap because why would you want to get in trouble to go back to a place because there's nothing else for you to do anywhere else so if you go back to the prison you got hobby craft you got a you know, you're, you're, you, you get to work with wood, you get to work with uh, furniture. Um, there's all sorts of other programs in that maximum security prison. The other, the other prisons are not designed, even though they spent $70 million, it's, they're designed for failure. Now, whoever's running those programs, not all of them, there's some good people and the inmates know, I mean, little do people know, inmates know who's doing what, no matter what. Now, you know, there's always those ones that are bringing the drugs in and, you know, some of the tops, you know, wherever they're getting their drugs, whoever they're getting them from, you know, inmates don't know who, but they know that it's somebody. But at the same time, the the normal Joe Blows like yourself, which I met a lot of them and I liked them a lot. I mean, you could go and sit on the yard. I, I observed that stuff. I I would go outside and I would see a certain person by himself all the time and he's just chilling and I hear somebody say something, but I'm always like keeping my eye on him. And it's neat. I, I was super impressed. I was like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with going to classes and just sitting by yourself and minding your own business. I mean, other than that, I mean, there's, I mean, it's, it's a rough world in there. I mean, it's super rough. It's hard to do your time that way because you know, the, the people that really need to be there, um, they'll pull you into their crap, you know? And so you trying to stay away from it is hard. I, I was fairly successful at it. Okay. I, I also wanted to ask you, um, Shane. So when someone is looking at your books and they read, uh, through these stories, what are they going to take away from that? What is the reader going to get from that? I I designed them for the stories to try to help each individual in a certain category because everybody's different. I mean, some people like to wake up at six in the morning and get off at five o'clock. Okay, I I understand that. I started my own business and I went on a a, a date with a girl. She's worked from six in the morning till five o'clock for. 30 years and she doesn't understand somebody that has an own business that goes into and from it's not like a it's not organized as you know like you know for my instance i wake up at you know six sometimes and i wake up at five sometimes and it's not a set schedule and it scares people and i understand that so each story it was designed for each individual in a different way in a different like for each personality technically because each person has a different techno you know personality when i went in i just thought a murder was a murder i just thought you know you hear on tv he murdered this person he murdered that person he murdered 
Well, I talked to all, every, almost all the murderers, and it's not like that. Some killed for their own kids. No, man, it's not. Some, some killed for their own kids. Some, I was like, and I'm looking, I'm like, good God. He got 99 years because he lost his kids because somebody lost, and I'm like, that's, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying he did right like he said that, but it was his kid. And then I met somebody that, you know, got drunk and killed somebody, and you could see the tears in the eyes, and I was like, yeah, that's not how I pictured people on TV. Hey, this guy's just this, you know, he's a ravage and he's just a maniac. And then you meet some that, hey, a drug dealer and his sister. And he told the drug dealer, quit selling drugs to my sister, man. And hindsight 2020, he's selling. He thinks it's OK to do it. But then the guy kept giving his sister and he went over and smoked him and sat on the stairs and waited for the cop. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, I'll do it again. So it's, you know, yeah, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it it's not in a lot of case in some cases, Shane, it is kind yeah. of what the stereotype is. But in in other cases, and in a lot of cases, you know, I met some guys that uh, got into bar fights and they just hit the other guy too damn hard in the jaw and they killed him. You know, I've I met a couple of guys like that. It, it's almost something that could, you know, happen to just about anybody really and then you, you know, I, I met people in there that were in for manslaughter that you know it happened when they were drunk driving a car um you know they in texas those guys they tend to you know give them 40 50 60 years and um the mad is a big deal here mothers against drug driving very strong lobby and so any crimes like that have a lot of years tacked on them here and so i met some people like that as well and i would hope that when people read the stories in your books that they come away with the idea that it's not in a lot of cases the stereotypical you know this guy's a felon convict it, it just didn't like that hell shane i had a cell i had a celly i had <laughs> check this out I had two cellies over my seven years that were cops. One was a Harris County uh, constable, and the other was a deputy sheriff. Both of them. I had another cellie that was a chiropractor. You know, and I think that people don't know what kind of person populates the prisons. And I would hope that through reading your books that they could get a better understanding of that. It's not, you know, we're not talking about carjackers and, you know, these street-level criminals that, that grew up in the street. And a lot of, and some of these guys, and you'll know this, man, in Texas what happens is you go to a facility and you notice that there are people in there that know each other already from the streets. I mean, they're hanging out with the same people in prison that they would be hanging out with on the corner. You know, it's the same damn people, and they're all cousins, and they all know each other, and you know what I'm talking about. So, I do. So, <clears throat> yeah, so there is some stereotypical, you know, kind of convict-type, people but i would say that it's not near as many as what people think there are people in there that are hard workers good people and they screwed up 
you know, and I would, anyway, I'm going on a little bit too long about this, but I would hope that no, people would come sorry. away f with your book, uh, your, both of your books, seeing that, seeing that one point that there are people there that are human beings, you know, and, so, and they made mistakes and that's and it. Made mistakes. And you don't know how, how many people have told me, you know, man, I could have done that. Man, that could have happened to me. You know, I, I've had people tell me that over the years. So, okay, let's, uh, hey, listen, Shane, I usually cut these interviews off at about 20 minutes. We're going 33 minutes here. We need to we need to, to shut this down. So tell us how well, we get your book. hopefully it went good for you. Yeah, yeah. How do we get your book? I, I just want to say one more thing. I uh, So my books, so the Juvenile Center here locally, they, uh, they, they were somebody higher ups and the police and the families allowed my books into the, the juvenile center here. Excellent. So I, I was, I was like shocked because I mean, you, you just can't go into juvenile and just hand them stuff. I mean, it's gotta be, you know, family approved and well, you must have impressed them. How do, how do we get the book? How do we get there? Uh, both. Of so them. you can go to shaneflemons.com and you can look up a lot of the bio. It's, it talks about, you know, a lot of, you know the basics of the book and all that you can go to amazon and get the books on amazon uh, the first book's called conviction by shane flemons you can get the um the second book deep conviction um and it's by myself as well i i literally ripped i wrote both of them and that's called deep conviction and you can go on youtube and look up shane flemons and i do have some stuff that's podcasts that are starting to get you know out there which i'm new to this i'm super new but that's where you can get the books excellent okay shane um i want to encourage people to go take a look for at those books and uh, i'm going to be doing the same shane thank you so much for being here today thank you very much for having me god bless and good job man i'm proud of you okay man you take it easy all right we'll be right back after this i'm rodney mathers and you're on the journey of hope Hey there, if you've got an idea for a show or a guest you think would fit here and bring somebody some information about post-incarceration life, drop me a line, let me know who it is, and I'll definitely check it out. It's MathersRodney at Yahoo.com, M-A-T-H-E-R-S-R-O-D-N-E-Y at Yahoo.com. Hey there, I want to thank my guest Shane Flemons and remind you that if God is for you, who can be against you? We'll see you next time right here on The Journey of Hope.